Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you'd help us, especially me more than anyone, as we've been singing of your greatness to hang on to that and not allow the flood of everyday cares and concerns to flood our minds. I, I pray that you'll help us for the next few moments to be able to guard against any other thing that would come in that would hinder a high view of you and what you would have for our lives. I pray, God, that our heart attitude, our posture even right now of being in your presence, we would hang on too tightly. I know the enemy loves to come and disturb, get our minds all elsewhere, but help us for these moments. Help them be pure moments to be with you, your people, around your word. Help us to be able to concentrate, hang on to the great truths in your word. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, it's been wonderful to be able to sing and worship with you this morning. I so appreciate what um, Jonathan does. He, every week, asks uh, those of us that are going to preach, like, what are we going to? And he so uh, greatly puts the worship together that reflects what we're going to talk about this morning. And um, so I just start off like this. Uh, Forty years ago, when I began my journey as a follower of Christ, my mentor introduced me to a particular book of the Bible as a new believer to start reading. And so what he did is he introduced me to the book of Proverbs, and now for the past 40 years, I have read the proverb of the day. If you don't know what that is, it's the taking the day of the week and whatever that Proverbs is. So today would be Proverbs chapter 4. I read that this morning, and for the past 40 years, I've been reading the book of Proverbs. You would think I would have it down, and, but I don't. That's the great thing about God's Word. It never uh, gets old, never gets tiring. There's always something new. Uh, I, obviously, it's my heart is what is changing, and so as I read it, how it speaks to me. And honestly, if you have, don't have a place where you read the Bible, you find it difficult, like where to read, uh, whether you can do our Bible reading plan that we're doing together. In fact, we just went through the book of Proverbs. That's why I'm going to speak from that today. And you can start up if you have it. You can get one of these guides at the Welcome Center and start where we're at. And I think it's a rich, rich thing. But honestly, the other thing is, if you've never like gotten to a everyday reading, I would encourage you take the Book of Proverbs, and that day, read that Proverbs. It will be enriching to you. In fact, over the years, I've got some milestones, and maybe you have those too. And if you know these verses, maybe you just quote them with me. Obviously, this one is a very famous one. In fact, I, I've been told that for Christian pictures and plaques, this is the number one verses. Proverbs 3, what do you think? 5 and 6. Yeah, say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Well, I've added verse 7 as well, because it says, Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so I'm adding that to one of my milestones. Another one is Proverbs chapter 4, 23. It says, say it with me if you know it, guard your 
heart with all diligence, for from it flows the issues of life. Another one for me is Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens another. In fact, most of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs were spoken by King Solomon, not all of them, but most of them. In fact, I want you to turn, if you will, to 1 Kings, and we'll kind of start off where, where this began from. And so 1 Kings, if you will, is chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 talks about not only David, but his son, Solomon. And here in chapter 3, starting in verse 5, listen to what it has to say. At Gideon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in upright of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to set on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out and how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, to many, to number counted for a multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Will it please the Lord that Solomon had asked this? And God said to him, because you have asked this and not have not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. In the next chapter, you don't have to look there, but in the next chapter, it says that Solomon in all of his days spoke over 3,000 God-inspired Proverbs. And here in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, 513 of them are recorded for you and I. It's interesting what the, book, what the word proverb means. Here's what it means. To represent something in the place of many words. Say it again. Proverbs means to represent something in the place of many words. And you know this to be true. It is not long sermons. You don't have to amen there. It is not necessarily in long sermons but it is in short paragraphs, phrases, sentences, sometimes words that really land on our hearts. In other words, this morning, if you will, with all your heart intently ask the Lord to speak to you, it probably will not be the whole sum of the hour that I'm going to speak. I'm just seeing if you're awake out there, right? 
because it's not going to happen, I promise you. But the deal will be is that in the midst of this sum of what we're going to talk to about today, God will use a sentence. He'll use a few words, a, a paragraph within this to land on your heart. Because here's the truth. The message, the definitions, the intent of the message sometimes gets all boggled up in lots of words. In fact, Proverbs says this in chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. But listen to this, of all these 513 Proverbs, there is one foundational truth that all of them must be built on. And so if you will, flip over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, if you will, in verse 7. This is the one foundational truth that you and I really need to hang on to. In fact, we've been singing about it this morning. Hopefully this all resonates together because in Proverbs chapter 1, look at, if you will, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. And so in other words, it's saying you and I must begin with a high view of God as God and King. Live according to his authority. That then what? Comes to be living a wise life. So you and I have a high view of God. A high view of his authority of what he has said for you and I how to live leads to a wise life. But you can also take the other if you choose not the fear of the Lord. If you will, in that same chapter, look down at verse 29. Because it says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their own turning away, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. And so you can either, you and I can either live with a high view of God, what he has to say is how you and I need to live, or reject a high view of God. Make God fit into a box that you want. Pick and choose what you would choose to obey. And honestly, that's how a fool lives, and it ends not in a good way. In fact, it ends in destruction as a fool. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the word fool is used many times, three different words, but the one that's used most about 19 different times just means careless of mind and just refusing to submit to a higher authority. And so what is a fool? A fool is, he just wants to choose to live according to his own ways. In fact, if you will, let's just look at a few of the Proverbs that talk about the fear of the Lord. There are many of them, but here's just a few. If you will, turn over to chapter 8, Proverbs 8, verses 13. 8, 13. It says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Keep on turning right and go to chapter 14, Proverbs 14. Find, if you will, verses 26 and 27. It 
in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that no one may turn away from the snares of death, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Turn, if you will, just a little further, chapter 16, verse 6. In steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And then, if you will, go to the last chapter, chapter 31, Proverbs 31. It probably would not surprise you that in this particular chapter, talking about the virtuous woman, that what? The fear of the Lord would be a part of her characteristics. In fact, if you will, in verse 30... It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so I want you, if you will, have a pen with you and look over there in the quotes to the left in your notes. And I want to read this particular quote by Jerry Bridges. And I'm going to have you underline some specific things, kind of a, getting a working definition of what the fear of the Lord is. Ready? There is an infinite gap. I want you to, if you will, underline infinite gap. There is an infinite gap in worth and dignity between God, the creator, and man, the creature. Even though man has been created in the image of God, the fear of God is a heartfelt recognition of this gap. I want you, if you will, underline that. The fear of God is a heartfelt recognition of this gap, not a put down of man, but an exaltation of God. To fear God is to confess his absolute uniqueness, to acknowledge his majesty, holiness, awesomeness, glory, and power. I don't know if even this morning as we are singing together about the greatness of God, Whenever you're worshiping, do you sense there is this infinite gap between how great God is and you? Do you sense that? Because fear of God is a recognition of there is an infinite gap between us. In fact, in the book of Psalm, God said to some people, he said, you thought I was altogether like you. And oftentimes, I can, more probably than anyone, bring God down to my level, thinking that he feels like I feel, he thinks like I think, he does things like I do, he would reason like I do, when the truth is, God is nothing like me. His ways and his thoughts are way beyond mine and yours. And you and I need to have what? A high view of God. And that's this morning what I really want to talk about for a few minutes. How do you and I develop a fear for God? In our ABF this morning, I was talking to our, our group and I just asked, because uh, I can remember this from my grandmother, talking about that person's a God-fearing person. How many of y'all have heard that lately, that someone is a God-fearing person? Has anyone heard that? Anyone? Anyone? Just hold your hand up. I want to see if I can see you. Uh, no. No. 
Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that what ought to really characterize you and I as a God-fearing follower of Jesus, that that's not heard of much anymore? So let's kind of try to recapture that. So in your notes, there's just three points, and here's the first one. Fear of God, the essentials of fearing God, are a correct concept of the character of God. A correct concept of his character. And as you well know, and would probably even sum up, that you and I will only get the correct view, the correct concept of who God is and his high loftiness, and that's according to God's word. You and I will never find it in any other book. It might be a Christian book, and it might be a person who is reading and trying to explain the passages like many of us have books like that. But ultimately, you and I will never have a right concept of the greatness of God apart from Scripture. What's interesting, I don't know if you realize this, but nowadays they say the front door to a church is the Internet. And so people, instead of like coming and and visiting a church, the first thing they'll do is they'll look up and see if they have a website. And they'll go on that website and they'll kind of see like some characteristics of church. One of the popular things today on websites to introduce you to a church is this shocking thing. We do not use the Bible here. And so people are looking like, Oh, okay, hey, I don't have to worry about going there and getting thumped, Bible thumped or whatever. And so we don't use the Bible here. You and I will only get a right concept of God, and that is from his word. In fact, if you will, there in Proverbs, if you will go to chapter 9, verse 10, Proverbs 9:10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And you and I, first of all, would never know God apart from his word and his spirit. And you and I will never know the mightiness and the greatness of God other than through his word. And so my encouragement to you, you have to be in it. And you have to be in it not just to be able to check off the marks like on our Bible reading plan, but honestly, that you wouldn't check that off, but honestly, that the Bible would mark you, not just marking up your Bible, that, but it would mark you, that you would have this high and lofty view of who God is. In fact, one of those particular books that God has used in my life over the years is a book by Knowing God. A guy named J.I. Packer wrote a book, and what he did is he just took what he saw in the Bible about God and kind of put it in some language to help. And so listen to this, ignorance of God both of his ways and of the practice of communion with him lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit, which spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room for only small thoughts of God. What poor witnesses are churchmen who look at God, so to speak, through the wrong end of the telescope? So reducing him to pygmy proportions cannot hope to end up as more than pygmy Christians. Do you hear that? If you look at God in any other way, 
than how scripture tells you and I. It's as looking at him in the wrong end of the telescope. He goes on to say the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divine. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. No subject of contemplation will tend more to humble your mind than thoughts of God. And nothing will engage, enlarge the intelligence, nothing so magnificent the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation into the great subject of God. Spurgeon said this, I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling bellows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial, as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. But when you disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you waste your life and lose your soul. In fact, once again, look over at the quotes by A.W. Tozer. He said, wrong ideas about God are not only the fountain from which the polluted waters of idolatry flow, They are themselves idolatrous. The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they were so. So here's my encouragement just over the years of my own walk with Christ. My encouragement, particular passages in the Bible, here's a few, you can just write them down. Isaiah chapter 6. We've sung about his holiness a moment ago. Isaiah 6 talks all about his holiness. Holiness, in fact, signifies the entirety of the divine perfection which separates God from his creation. God is the creator who exists in absolute independence of the creature. He is the Lord, not a man. Although the creation depends upon him, he is entirely independent of it. You know what that means? You and I today, every breath we have, every waking moment is allowed by God. Yet God depends on nothing that we could give. He is not dependent on any of us. Our strengths, our gifts, not dependent on any of it. He absolutely is independent. He is absolutely holy. In fact, Because of this holiness, it ought to cause you and I to yearn to live a holy and pure life. 2 Corinthians, don't have to turn there, but 7.1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. What? In the fear of God. I wrote this in my quiet time a few weeks ago. Over time, if I am not careful... I tend to bring God down off his lofty throne and see less and less of his holiness. 
If I am not careful, I can do that. So are you. Isaiah chapter 40, or Job, the last part of that, begins to tell you and I about his grandeur, even in creation. I just want to give you a, a few practical things that I have over the years that have helped me. Um, think about before the internet, television, Netflix, and um, uh, Facebook. There you go. Before that, what did people do in the evening? Like after you ate dinner, what did you do if you didn't have those things to go to? Well, for most people, uh, they were outside. And so I want to triple dog dare you to do something, all right? Now, you know what triple dog dare means, right? You have to do this. All of you are now under an oath, and you didn't know that. But I dare you for a week to go outside and not get on all those other things I mentioned. Just go outside. In fact, evening skies, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Facebook declares the glory of man. The heavens declare the glory of God. I would encourage you to go outside. Now, some of y'all are going to go outside tonight and see what man can do, blowing things up. And so, a few years ago, I decided instead of blowing up and burning up my own money, what I'll do is watch everybody else do theirs. So, go outside, watch all the things that man can do, and then just stay outside for a while after it all dies down. Because you will see in the heavens a greater display of glory than you will in all the fireworks. And I'm not against what it stands for, but watch what God does. In fact, I have found myself like up way late, and I'm not an up late guy. But if I'm out back in my backyard and things are going on like falling stars and seeing all this stuff... In fact, for our anniversary, Sherry got me a telescope. And so I'm the goofy guy out there trying to find all these things. It is just awesome. In fact, I'll just give you just one of them. Tonight, if you'll go outside, there's going to be the Big Dipper right here, okay? And so look this way tonight. And at the very end of the handle of the Big Dipper, find that star. And then just go to the next star that makes up the handle, okay? So that next star is 123 light years away. That and honestly, when you go out there tonight, it's only that far away. But it's 123 light years, which is 738 trillion miles apart. And then if you want to know the rest of it, I can tell you that. Because of all of the Big Dipper, it's light years and light years and light years away. And honestly, you go out every night, there are falling stars. Why is it the Big Dipper is still there? Why is it that I was in the Congo, I went outside and there was the Big Dipper. When I was in Bosnia, I went outside and there was the Big Dipper. It's still there. Why is that? Man, it's the glory of God holding in place. It just reminds me of this incredible gap between God and me. And yet, think about it. He takes care of all I need. He takes care of you. He does all this 
to just show himself incredible. In fact, if you will, I would encourage you to take a trip to the mountains or the ocean. Now, Disney World, that's a pretty good. It's a one-time thing. It's a good one. But honestly, it's what man can do. I would encourage you to go to the mountains. Go to the ocean. Did you recognize that one song we sang talking about what? The mountains and the ocean. Why did God do this vastness for you and I to realize how incredibly great he is? In fact, one day, whenever flights get kind of normaled out, I would encourage you to go on a mission trip somewhere else in the world. Did you realize there are places in the world that a Blanc has never been? Blanc, white man. There are places in this world still today that a white man has never been. There are people, groups in this world that still have not had anyone from the outside come in to them. Our world is vast. And yet what? God holds it in what? Palm of his hand, it's no big deal. Number two, not only have a correct concept of God's character. Number two, have a pervasive sense of the presence of God. I don't, I don't know if you uh, have seen much of this or not, but maybe you have seen um, Buddhist or Hare Krishnas, don't hear of them much anymore, or other religions, cults in the world. Here's my question. If you've ever seen them on television or you've seen them in real life, why is it that other religions use loud gongs, have bells and cymbals, dance fanatically. They chant over and over and over again. Many of them use candles, and the more candles, the better. Why, why is that? In fact, here's just one scenario. So I was in another country. I went into a temple where there was many people. And so there were many idols throughout this temple, idol after idol after idol. And so people would gather in front of certain idols, like if there was one idol not being occupied, a family would go. And, and there's no pews, there's no seats, just open flooring in this temple. And what this family was doing is they gathered as many candles as they could and they would light them and they would drip the wax on the floor so they could stick the candle, it would stand upright. And they lit candles, and the more candles, the better. And they chanted and they wept before this idol. And then one time I saw a, a, a family had an egg, a chicken's egg, and they cracked it open on the ground. It was an offering. Another time they actually had a chicken and they rang its neck off and they sprinkled the blood on the floor in front of this idol. Why would they do such things? Because, you see, other religions are trying to get the attention of their deity. They do not have any assurance that that idol is listening to them. They are begging. They're offering everything they have. They'll give even a blood sacrifice if they will know that this deity will answer and pay attention to them. Do you realize that Christianity, though, is the only one where God is trying to get your attention 
and my attention. We don't have to try to get his attention. He is always trying to get our attention. You walk out tonight, you look at the sky, it is screaming that you and I would acknowledge how great and good he is. In fact, if you will, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's right, just right after the book of Proverbs. Solomon wrote this. It's a different type of book because Solomon thought he would take all of his wisdom and try to apply it apart from God. And so you read this little book of Ecclesiastes and you find that apart from God, everything is vanity. You can have all the wisdom in the world and you leave God out. You can have all the wealth in the world, you leave God out. You can have all the fame, you can have everything, you leave God out. It's all vanity. And Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you will, starting in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. If you will, take a left back to the book of Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5 verse 21. In other words, Ecclesiastes is saying what? You and I are in the presence of God. We need to be careful, not just what we're saying, what we're thinking, our motives. He knows everything about Proverbs 5, verse 21. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Turn, if you will, right, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. We kept our grandkids this weekend. Do you remember when your kids were little? Do you remember when you were little? That if you said for them to do or not do something and you would find them look, looking to see if you're looking and then do it? Have you ever found yourself doing that to God? Like, is he looking? When the truth is, he's always looking. It's so funny, when Sherry and I are driving, I can see a policeman or a highway patrol in my rearview mirror, and I, I, honest to God, I'm, I'm telling you the truth before God, I do the speed limit. I do the speed limit. Because if you break the speed limit, you're breaking the law. Man, sorry, just stepped on a lot of... 
But if you break the speed limit, you're breaking the law. And so I do the speed limit. I can be doing the speed limit and see a cop and I put on my brakes. Like, I'm going down the highway the other day. I put on my brakes. Sherry's looking around. Where's he at? Well, he was in the rearview mirror about half a mile away. And honestly, you probably do that in some sense or another, don't you? Because you realize you're in the presence of someone that can really make life rough on you. He has the ability to do something. Isn't it something that when you're in the presence, it can happen like if the boss isn't around and you kind of do your own thing, but when the boss is around, like you straighten up and you do your job as you should and all sorts of things. Even men, we get in trouble with the internet because no one's around looking. But the truth is, the eyes of the Lord and you and I are what? Always in his presence. We're always. Just a few things that have helped me. I hope it'll help you. Sunrise. Did anyone see the sunrise this morning? It was awesome if you missed it. It was awesome. I watch the sunrise up every morning. And it's interesting where I, where I live at and where I sit in a particular chair I sat in that our back fence line, if I stare at it long enough, I can see the world spinning at a thousand miles an hour as the sun comes up. And it's a daily reminder, isn't it? God's in control. God is in control. I, I would encourage you, start your morning, if not with the sunrise, but start in the morning acknowledging that you're in the presence of God. But I want to encourage you to do something at bedtime. At bedtime, encourage yourself, help yourself realize. Now, hang on a minute. Do you realize that tonight when you go to sleep will be one of the greatest acts of faith in God's presence that you can do? Think about it. You will go into a coma for several hours. Your heart will continually beat. You will continually breathe. You're spinning on the earth that's going a thousand miles an hour. There are wars in this world. And you'll probably wake up tomorrow morning safe and sound in your bed. But I can remember on a few mission trips, going to bed, hearing gunfire, Chanting outside of our hut, witch doctors were putting curses on us. Hearing screams that were unimaginable. And I learned back then, going to sleep, and this is how I go to sleep every night. I tell God, I rest in your presence and your care. In fact, Proverbs 3 tells us what? That in everything we do, we are to acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. I remember Sherry and I, when our youngest daughter lay in a hospital bed, and it was about the first three days they said we didn't know if she will live or not. Sherry's way tougher than me. I think she stayed up the whole time. I'd go to sleep and I'd say, I rest in your presence and your care. 
I, I move on from here. My encouragement to you and me is fight to be present in the presence of God. You and I, in this world we live in, got to fight to be present. You know what that means, right? To be present. Have you ever been accused of like, where are you at? Like you're at the dinner table, but your mind is somewhere else. Or where are you at? Like you're not present. You and I can sit in this room and not be present. We can be somewhere else doing something else. I've been all over the world at times, like just doing all kinds of stuff right here. But fight to be present in the presence of God. Fight. Here's my last one. Three. Not only have a right concept of the character of God, but an awareness of his presence. Here's the third one. A constant awareness of your obligation to God. It, it stands for reason that if you and I really know who God is and realize we're in his presence, that he has things for us to do and to live. In fact, if you will, I just want to end with this one particular verse. If you will, go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, the very last verse of that book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Again, if you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, I would encourage you, read it and realize here is the wisest man in the world attempting to live life apart from God. And he does things that you and I would never be able to do. And he did them all. And here's his conclusion. Because now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When you and I realize how high and lofty God is, and that you and I are never out of that presence of that kind of God, it should just be the natural thing that whatever he says in his word, I'll do it. Never to pick and choose. I'm not going to do that one, but I like this one. This fits for my time in life. This one doesn't. This is going to be difficult, but that one's a little easier to do. It just stands to reason that a real healthy fear of God tends to, hey, God, whatever, yes. In fact, there was one particular church a friend of mine went to, and at the very beginning of their worship service, it was usually quiet. I'm not saying it's bad that we're visiting and everything, but it was usually quiet. And the worship guy was just usually playing, and he said, all you could hear across the auditorium were people in their prayers saying yes. They were just saying yes, 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 yes. And then when it quieted down, they began. And he inquired. And this particular group of people, when they came together before the sermon, before anything, what they would say to God was, Whatever you say, 
Yes. Like, I don't need to have it explained. I don't need to know the whole thing, what you would have for me, God. I'll just go ahead and say, yes, you let me know what it is. I've already given my answer. Oh, may that be my heart. May that be your heart. Because a true fear of God realizes how high he is. I'm never out of his presence. And honestly, whatever he says, it's yes. Would you pray with me? Father, more than anything this morning, this is my confession to you. If you would use it in anyone's life, whatever may please you. But my confession this morning is, at times, I do not have a lofty view. There are many times so many other things rob me of realizing I'm in your presence. And still to this day, in 40 years of walking with you, I have found myself picking and choosing what I will do. Make me, make these people, your people, make us people that fear you in such a way that it's yes before you explain anything. In fact, there will be many times you'll never explain it. You said it in your word, that's it. We as parents and grandparents get really good at saying, because I said so. But for some reason at times, I say that to you and I'm waiting for an explanation. When I must realize, it doesn't matter if there's an explanation. All of eternity, there may not be an explanation. But what you say, we must do because you are God we're the clay you're the potter help us to be moldable help us God to be your people in a dark world in fact this morning may you take these truths as we go out into this world this week some in very difficult situations some people are in difficult situations right now they've gone through loss in their life they're going through illnesses. They're going through things that nobody knows about. I pray, God, they might realize and find the comfort that comes from knowing that you, God, are all-powerful. You know what they're going through. I pray they would realize they're in your presence. This thing did not happen and you had your head turned. You know you're powerful. You're sovereign. You'll bring them through. I pray that you'd help, even in the midst of tragedy, that we would be people to quickly obey. I pray this morning, if there's a person here or listening online, that, Lord, they have never bent their knee to you as Lord. I pray today they would cry out to you for forgiveness. And that you would become their Lord and Savior even today. I ask in your name. Amen.